Mustafa and Ken here. Welcome back to the Alert Medic One podcast. Alert Medic One response. We were talking about manipulation. Yes, we were. And can I just tell you, you look great today. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, your coffee was so good. Um, but I do have a favor to ask. Just kidding. Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. <laughs> so give us a summary of what you're talking about. Okay. So, yeah, so we, we were talking about leadership. Um, and uh, in particular, we started talking about uh, how, you know, we, I was I, I brought up the book, The 48 Laws of Power, mm. and how that was kind of like manipulation 101. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's really not my style. I mean, I know everybody does it to some extent. Like, that's human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, I personally don't really feel that it's ethical to manipulate people to any significant degree like obviously there is an amount that is done Mm -hmm. um you know naturally Mm -hmm. um and and it gets into what really is manipulation and i think i think intent kind of plays into it as well Mm -hmm. i mean if i if i compliment and positively reinforce my people at work all the time and that makes them more inclined to do things and to do things for me, um, not unethical things, but, you know, to do their job appropriately. Or if I need something done, you know, like an extra task or something, they might be more willing to do it. Is that manipulation? I mean, so where's the line for you between persuasion and manipulation? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I honestly, the first word that comes to my mind when you say that is intent. Okay. If I'm trying to get somebody to do something and I have no ill intent and I basically, it's just part of their job or maybe it's something a little extra, but it needs to be done, you know, a regular thing that needs to be done, you know, an ambulance moved or something, you know, not like I need you to bring me coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I don't, so is it a function of intent or is it a function of the outcome of whatever action it is? Because the, the outcome, the intent could be good, but what if the outcome is negative? I think the outcome doesn't really matter. Okay. To me, it's intent. Okay. Um, if my intent is... Uh, it's a word I'm looking for. Genuine sure. or innocent. Um, or professional, uh, I don't see an issue with that. You know what I mean? But if, if it's like, Hey, I want you to bring me dinner or get me coffee or don't call the office after, you know, a certain time because I want to sleep or something like Mm -hmm. to me that that's me manipulating you. So let me ask you this. This is kind of going off in a different direction, but you don't like that uh, something particular is being said because you feel that the outcome of that thing is something evil and notorious, so you censor that thing. Your intent is good, but 
the second, third, fourth degree result of that is unfair censorship. I'm not following. I'm sorry. So, like, the reason I brought up intent is one of the, one of the biggest things I've been researching re- recently is, like, uh, like... You're really loud. Am I really? Uh, the First Amendment and, like, with social media. Okay. Right? So, like... Um, and full disclosure, these are not my political opinions. I'm just, like, been thought, you know, been researching. So, like, one of the biggest things I've been seeing is, like, the intent of censorship on social media is that people want to snuff out bad ideas. Mm-hmm. But the inadvertent, like, result of that is you you end up censoring people that you don't really want, uh, you know, that the act of censorship it ends up being negative. So well, how does that relate to the fire department? So you have a leader that stamps out a, a person who's maybe just voicing their opinion on a particular situation. They end up, you know, the, the intent of that is positive, right? You want to snuff out um, uh, a, a, a subordinate that you think is, you know, uh, insubordinate, but the result of that is, la- you know, lack of morale. I don't know that that is a positive intent. Oh, but maybe to that to that person, may, I guess to that person because it it's is. subjective, yeah. right? Yeah, it's subjective. Um, That's why I think intent is dangerous. Yeah, I get. I I, I track with what you're saying now. Um, yeah, but I mean, so is measuring by the outcome. Okay. Uh, because let's take the same example, or maybe a similar example, and let's say that um, you have somebody who the intent is, we'll, we'll go with get them to not say something that you find negative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... You stop that person from speaking out about the issue mm-hmm. and everybody supports it because they don't like this person. They don't like what they have to say. Um, sorry, it took me a minute to kind of frame where I was going. Um, that's, that's my ADHD role yeah. and I'm just kind of rolling <laughs> with it. Yeah. So, okay, so we censor this person mm-hmm. and this person becomes afraid to speak out. Sure. Now they see a safety issue mm-hmm. or a system issue that is going to have a negative effect. Well, they're afraid to speak out or somebody else is afraid to speak out because this person's been censured. Sure. Well, the outcome initially was positive. Mm-hmm. We stopped this person from talking and everybody agreed with it. Now now either no one's going to take him seriously or he's afraid to speak out. Did that positive outcome was that positive outcome really positive? If this person, you know, even if it's, even if it's only that this one person is now demoralized Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, afraid to speak out or other people just don't see this person, uh, in a respectful manner, did we really have a positive outcome? You know, like, so I think we're agreeing with you with each other because what you just described is like a third order outcome, right? right? The initial outcome is, uh, perceived to be good but the in it, the last outcome is bad so no i think i'm with you because uh, I, I think what i i mean also is intent is uh, uh I, and it really realistically it's probably uh, both right there's shades of gray yeah. is, is the rea- yeah. there's no absolute right or wrong with yeah. what we're talking about i think sure. is, is the reality of it you i think a lot of our problems and this is way off topic but i think a lot of our problems in society is our our desire to see things black or white 
right and wrong, mm-hmm. good or bad, when the reality is certainly there are truly good and truly evil things in life. Sure. But a lot of stuff is on a spectrum, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and has to be taken in context. And context is so important. Sure. Because... I mean, there's so there's so many things people have said and done um, where context matters, and without the proper context, you know, something might seem crazy, but it's not. Sure. And then the other thing is, um, shoot, what was I going to say? Um, had to do with context and uh, that line of thought. Oh, and it just totally escaped me. Yeah. It was a really good no, thought. No, but I, I should have brought a notepad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I, you can. I, I can get you a notepad. Yeah, eh, we can get one after this episode. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, shoot. But I mean, I think eh. you ma- you make a good point though, right? So wrapping it back to the manipulation versus persuasion thing, I think uh, at some point, I mean, somewhere along the line, we also have to talk about like you're advocating for yourself right? Whatever that is, are you being, mm-hmm. and so I think that's where intent especially matters because are you advocating for yourself in a malicious or non-malicious way? Right. Right. Um, I, I think, uh, so I looked up the definitions of, you know, manipulation, so manipulation, um, uh, according to Google dictionary definitions from Oxford languages, uh, control or influence a person or situ- situation cleverly, unfairly, or unscrupulously. Now, I don't like the the fact that they put cleverly right next to unfairly, because cle- you can be clever and it not be negative. Right? That's fair. But unfairly, I like. Uh, the example they put in is the masses were deceived and manipulated by a tiny group. Um, now, compare that to what does persuasion mean, or persuade, uh, same source, uh, cause, uh, as a verb, cause someone to do something through reasoning or argument, um, cause someone to believe something, especially after a sustained effort, uh, or to convince, uh, and, uh, persuade of a, of a situation or event, provide a sound reason for someone to do something. So, and similar, uh, words underneath here is cause, lead, move, dispose, incline, motivate, induce. Uh, whereas the similar words for manipulate are operate, oh, sorry, no, no, that's the wrong one, exploit, control, influence, maneuver, engineer, and steer. So I think the key word here is exploit. Right, uh, when it comes to manipulation, because there's a, that negative outcome. Whereas uh, the 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 keywords for persuasion are lead and motivate. Yeah. Right. So can you talk about a little from your leadership experience a little bit on those? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that when you talk about leadership, motivation is definitely hand in hand. One of the things you learn is that if people aren't motivated, it's extremely difficult to lead them. Um, And motivating people is very difficult sometimes because everybody is an individual and unique. And this kind of goes back to manipulation and persuasion because you have to know each individual person's personality and really their likes and dislikes um, and how you talk to them, how you interact with them. Um, how you praise them, how you discipline them. Like you have to tailor that to each individual person because if you don't, you're going to lose your ability to lead effectively. You know, for example, you know, I have, uh, I I supervise four ambulances with eight paramedics on, on my shift. Each of those eight people, not all the spots are filled, but if they were, each of those eight people 
has a unique personality, a unique response to praise and discipline. And when I talk to somebody, I have to kind of know how they're going to react to what I say. I'm very, I'm not, I'm the same person I always am to, to every person I interact with at work or in my life. Like I, I try not to be like, not to sound self-absorbed or anything, but I try to be very genuine. You know, I try to be myself. Um, however, the way I might phrase the same thing to two different people might be different. Um, because I know some people, and I hate I hate this word, but some people get triggered by certain phrasings mm-hmm. or certain um, ideas or certain presentations. So, uh, for example, let's let's go back. I think it was the last episode we talked about. Let's say I need an ambulance to be moved from point A to point B. Like we have an extra ambulance and it needs to go to the shop or something like that. Sure. Okay. So crew number one, I might tell the paramedic, hey, uh, can you do me a really big favor? I'd really appreciate if you would, you know, help me get this ambulance moved over to the shop because it needs to get done and I I just need somebody I can depend on to do it. And maybe this person is somebody who likes to be praised, likes to make me happy, likes to, um, you know, have their work acknowledged. So I'm going to put it in this positive way. Another crew I might have, I might have the same situation, but this person might have a different personality. And I might say something like, you know, I I know this is not what you want to be doing right now, but I got to get this ambulance moved over to the shop. And, uh, you know, just think of it like, you know, it's it's an hour break, maybe stop by, you know, the Royal Farms, get something to eat. You know, just, uh, you know, use it as some downtime. Mm-hmm. And that person might not want to do stuff like that. You know, they, they might feel annoyed by having to do something extra or something besides, I don't know, running calls or sitting at just the hospital doing or the doing whatever is. the basic yeah. thing is. Mm-hmm. But I frame it in a way of, hey, I know this isn't what you want to do. But maybe you can get a snack out of it. Maybe you can think about it as some time that you're not dealing with a drunk, you sure. know. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just a, a matter of trying to elicit a positive response from whoever you need to do mm-hmm. whatever you do. And I guess that may, you know what, that is manipulation. Maybe that is manipulation. I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I would say that that's persuasion. Because so uh, just going down real quick. Um, uh, so... Uh, Kind of talking about what you're, uh, what you're saying. So a quote from the book uh, in the chapter leading up and down the chain of command uh, in extreme ownership. Uh, this book and there's another book I'm going to bring up. We've been kind of. Been, I, I just finished reading uh, one of them, and it, 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 a lot of the uh, components of this book are really resonate for me from a leadership perspective. Um, uh, any good leader is immersed in the planning and execution of tasks, projects, and operations to move the team towards a strategic goal. Such leaders possess insight into the bigger picture and why specific tasks need to be accomplished. This information does not automatically translate to subordinate leaders and the frontline troops. Junior members of the team, the tactical level operators, your ambulance people, for example, are rightly focused on their specific jobs. They must be in order to accomplish the tactical mission. They do not need the full knowledge and insight of their senior leaders, nor do the senior leaders need the intricate understanding of the tactical level operator's job. 
Still, it is critical that each have an understanding of the other's role, and it is paramount that senior leaders explain to their junior leaders and troops executing the mission how their specific role contributes to big picture success. So, like, for example, you kind of just said, this is why I need the ambulance transported, right? Because right? then not only do the, do people gain your respect, but they also see that you care about them enough for you to explain to them why you need something done, not the black or white do this because I said so. Yeah, and two things I would say. Uh, number one, there's a really cool heron outside. It uh, just landed. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah. I, I like them. They're pretty cool birds. If, if you're listening to this and you don't know what a blue heron is, Google image that. They're really cool. Uh, I don't know. I how also live on the water. Are. I guess people wouldn't know that, but yeah, that's why I hate seeing a heron in my backyard. <laughs> and uh, number two, I think that's really key because, and that's one of the things I learned from other leaders that I've worked for, is when somebody tells you why they want something done, even if they don't give you all the details, even if they just say, "Hey, can you do this because X, Y, Z?" There's a, a level of trust and respect that's built. Um, because, you know, my captain or my chief could come to me and just say, Hey, I need a list of people who are approved to do X, Y, Z. You know, I need to know everybody who's able to, you know, I don't know, do something, you know, my, this happened to me at work recently. Sure. Um, and that could have been it, you Mm -hmm. know, that could have just, you will give me this list. But that's not what happened. You know, what what happened was, hey, we, we need this list because, you know, we're reviewing who's approved to do this stuff. And you know, my my upper level management wants it. Sure. So, uh, OK, you know, that's that's good, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I think it, it builds a level of respect and trust. Um and it adds a level. I think there's a very important aspect of the human interaction to leadership. And I think it adds a level of the human interaction. Um, because when you have a leader who's very robotic and just is like, this is what has to get done and this is what we're going to do, do it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've worked with people like that. I've worked for people like that. And I didn't not like those people. I didn't have a problem with them. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the same experience as somebody who was a little, I wouldn't even say more informal, Mm -hmm. but just more relatable because it makes you feel like you can trust that person. And I want people, you know, I feel like, you know, my captain and my chief, I feel like I can trust them. And if I have a problem, I can go to them and say, mm-hmm. hey, I've got a problem or I don't know how to handle this. Or am I going to get in trouble for this? Because I don't know if I did this right. Mm-hmm. Um, I want my people to feel the same way about me. I want them to be like, well, maybe this isn't right. And I should say something to my lieutenant, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe maybe I should check in with him about this. And sure. And, you know, did I do something wrong? And I made a joke to, uh, you know, one of one of the other uh, frontline supervisors the other day. I said, I feel like 80% of my job is just p- keeping people from facing the consequences of their own decisions, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, not, you know, not that I would ever do anything unethical or improper, but um, there's, there's a level of just, you know, keeping people from getting themselves in trouble. Sure. And if you're honest with me and you tell me what's going on, mm-hmm. 
and uh, we can catch a problem early, often we can. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's almost like you're describing like, um, what? how should I say this? I think a, an early but critical component of creating that leadership dynamic or that, you know, subordinate versus leader or not. I don't like that. Uh, maybe boss versus I don't I don't even know what term it would be, but basically um, establishing the common human ground that you're mm-hmm. both people that have a job. Yeah. And you have mutual respect for each other. Yeah. You know, and then from there, from that common ground, be like, listen, I have a job to do. You have a job to do. We both like none of us have the goal of having sick people die on us. Right. Right. So that's the common goal. We're here to do a job. Right. We have at any given point, sick people that we got to take care of and we want to make sure they get home. Right. Right. Now from there, how do we walk forward together? Yeah. And there does absolutely have to be an understanding of professionalism Mm -hmm. of I have a job to do. You have a job to do. I respect you as a person. You respect me as a person, I hope. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately, I'm your supervisor, and I sure. may have to do things that you don't like. Sure, you know, sure. I may I may have to get you in trouble for something, and that sucks, right? Because um, like, because I feel like people people take that the wrong way, and I've do. taken that wrong, the wrong way. They do, yeah. um, because people think number one, people think you're friends, mm-hmm. e- even if you're friendly and you like a person. Um, it's in my opinion, and I know some people do this, I don't socialize with the people I supervise outside of work. Sure, um, sure. And it's fine if other people do that. I mm-hmm. just choose not to do that in most cases. You know, I'm sure. not saying I've never seen anybody at a shift party or you know yeah. something like that, but um, you know, and it goes up to the next level too. You know, I'm I'm friendly with my supervisors. Um, I talk to some of them outside of work about work related stuff mostly sure um but if one of them were to get me in trouble mm-hmm. i understand yeah you know like it's 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 a professional thing sure you know it doesn't mean i don't like them yeah they could they could get me suspended and i wouldn't not like them sure you know unless it was you know something truly unfair or something yeah. like that but hopefully i would never do anything that stupid but yeah yeah. Um, but if I did do something wrong and I got in trouble for it, I I would not hold my supervisor accountable for the discipline handed down to me because mm-hmm. I'm the one who screwed up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. But, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but I think that, well, I would say that mentality comes with time and experience and maturity, but mm-hmm. I feel like some people who have been around for a long time still don't have that mentality. Sure. So I don't know. Maybe I just have a different outlook on professionalism than some people do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think it, it – I'm sure it's different for various people, just yeah. how they lead and uh, whatever their interpersonal dynamics are. One of the things that – and I'm not going to bring up the quote because I don't remember where it is in the book. Um, I, I just recently started actually using flags, you know, like the sticky flags, but mm-hmm. I didn't use it for this book. But um, the idea that um, – you have to be uh, mission oriented, right? So uh, for work relationships specifically, right? So um, no one individual can be a higher priority than whatever the mission is. So for 100%. work, uh, you know, your work, you, your, what's the goal? We have to, we have to take these calls. We have to make sure we provide the best customer service. Uh, well, sure, customer service, clinical care, mm-hmm. all that. Um, and no one individual can 
go above that, right? right? So you can have the professional relationships or whatever. Um, uh, well, you can have the good, friendly relationships, but nothing at work can surpass the primary objective, which is, uh, you know, providing good care right. to the people that the citizens that we serve. Right. Um, and I think sometimes that can get mixed up because um, maybe you have a really strong provider that knows they're very strong. And they try to manipulate and take advantage uh, of that by maybe slacking off in other ways. Mm -hmm. And when you approach them as a young, new junior leader, they say, I'm the best paramedic you have. Yeah. Or I'm the only one that doesn't call out. Right. Um, I think the intuitive thing might be to be like, oh, crap, what's my situation going to be like if I lose this guy? And you try to you make that critical mistake of appeasing the 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 bad apple yeah which is easy to do and in the moment it's intuitive right because mm-hmm. you're like oh crap i have to answer to leaders that are going to ask me why am i failing right but the idea what the fallacy occurs where if other people in the team see that you're appeasing it the overall culture and morale goes down right so all the, i feel like all and this is not my thought this is from the book um i'm just paraphrasing the goal Oh, so not the goal. The the uh, the appropriate action at that point would be if you have to cut that person loose, you have to cut that person loose because your team will operate better. Right. If you have a good standard across the board. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and there are other ways you can try to mitigate that as well. Um, and it's situation to s- specific. However, for example, this is uh, and this isn't meant to refer to because I know I have coworkers who listen to this. Um, this isn't referring to any one specific person or something, but let's say you have a paramedic who goes out of service all the time for dumb stuff. Sure, you can sit them down and talk to them about it. Um, in my experience, that may work for a little while, but the behavior will start again. So one thing I like to do is to try and get in front of it. Um, I know that somebody likes to go out of service for, you know, supplies or or whatever all the time. And they text me and say, okay, I need X, Y, Z. Well, you know what? I just finished up what I had to do in the office. So while you're at the hospital waiting to offload your patient, I'm going to bring you your supplies and you can go right back in service. Sure. And, you know, if you need something I can't transport like that, you know, oxygen or whatever, obviously I can't fix that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like being proactive and not being afraid to get out of the office and handle situations and do stuff is good. I also think it's helpful to um, be visible as a supervisor. Every, every, uh, and and I'm mostly speaking about like uh, 911 here, but every, agency has their own response profile for supervisors, right? Mm -hmm. Like my response profile at work is pretty limited. However, I have the freedom of being able to go on any call I want to. So you know what? I do. Mm -hmm. And my people know that I'm going to show up on calls. Sure. So one, I hope that motivates them to do things correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think for the most part they do, whether I'm there or not. Um, But I think knowing that I might just show up, is good. Um, the other thing I do is I'll show up to the hospital. You know, we, we only have one hospital in my, um, 
in my uh, uh, my district, so it, it makes it kind of easy for me. But I'll, I'll show up to the hospitals, and um, magically, many times when I get there, everybody who was sitting at the hospital is able to go in service. Sure. You know? Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I'm not trying to cast aspersions that anybody's wasting any time or anything. Yeah. Um, but I think being visible and being proactive is important because I've also been told by people that they like when I show up on calls because sure. I help. Yeah. You know, um, I don't just stand there, but I'm like, Hey, you need me to like get an IV or something. I'll do it. I don't care. Get mm-hmm. an EKG, help you lift the patient, help you carry them down the stairs. It's part of being a team player. Sure. Um, because if you're not engaged in stuff like that, I think if you just stand back and watch, not that people will respect you less, but it's a different leadership style. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I got a couple questions. Okay. So number one, you, I think you're describing leading from the front, uh, right? Okay. And But you're also just saying uh, being deliberate with your actions, right? So like a supervisor might assume that people that their subordinates know something about their intent that they don't. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Uh, in a hypothetical situation uh, that you just described, why do you think people are hanging out at the hospital? Because the jurisdiction I work in is extremely busy. Mm-hmm. And if you don't take 10 minutes at the hospital to eat or go to the bathroom, you're not going to. Well, boom. Right. So, like, I think the system needs to take care of their people better. I right. don't disagree with you yeah. at all. And, I mean, and that's not your solution to fix as a you know, supervisor. But, like, um, little things like if the – if uh, and I'm sure – I know you already do this. I, I've heard, like, other supervisors in other jurisdictions do this. Uh, offer to bring their food to them, you know, little yeah. things like that. If they're like waiting for a bed, right? I'm not that motivated. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like <laughs> just little things like that. I think that ends up building that trust and yeah. like, um, I think there's some sort of camaraderie that gets built when we all, when like the frontline paramedic sees that we're all on the same mission. Yeah. And to be clear, this is a nationwide problem. Oh yeah, you know, hospital delays, busy systems, not enough ambulances. This is everywhere. You know, um. It's gotten better in a lot of places since COVID's died down a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's a reality. Um, maybe not so much where I work, but like short staffing is a huge problem in EMS nationwide, sure. and that sure. leads to the overutilization of the same people over and mm-hmm. over, which leads to burnout, which leads to people not performing well, which leads to time wasting, which sure. leads to poor patient care. Sure, you know, um, and I'm glad that where I work, we seem to have. I'm not going to say you know we're maybe not fully staffed, but. It's not as bad as you hear about some of these agencies, uh, especially like in the Midwest and stuff, um, where they've got just nobody, mm-hmm. you know. So, where do you? Uh, and I feel like we've tried to talk about this before. If you had one thing you could do that you think would fix things, one thing that would fix things. Are you talking about immediately or like actually really fix the system? Over time. But whichever one you want to talk about. Let's do the latter. Okay. If I were to actually fix the system over time. Sure. I think the first thing I would do would be to raise educational standards. And that would be a painful thing. Um, sure. Number one, the, the personnel shortage would get worse initially. Mm-hmm. 
as it did with nursing in the 80s when BSN became a big thing. Mm -hmm. But you know what happened? Wages went up. Staffing eventually got a little better. I mean, there's still staffing um, and nursing has kind of been on and off. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that would raise wages eventually because you would have to pay more to get people to work. Sure. Um, so that that would be step one. Okay. Um, so let me ask you a couple questions about that. So number number one, I and don't, that could be an episode all on its own. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what I don't know about the nursing thing, right? Um, we're. I mean, we, I'm sure you've heard about. I mean, everyone has like the Great Resignation, mm-hmm. right? So like with COVID, like I th- I think EMS and the fire service has experienced that. You know, our fair share of that. Oh uh, yeah. Um. So. How does – and I'm not – this is not me questioning what you're saying. I truly don't know the connection. How does increasing educational standards improve frontline morale? It doesn't. Okay. It doesn't. So, But in the long term, yeah, it provides people the ability to barter for higher wages. And do you feel that higher wages are a primary driver for, like, morale? So here in Maryland, we live in a bubble. Uh-huh. EMS in Maryland is not EMS everywhere else. I'm sure you know. I'm sure, sure I'm yeah. not telling you anything yeah. that you don't know. I I go on Reddit or Facebook, and I see what people talk about, what they're making as paramedics. Sure. Yeah. It's abysmal. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's abysmal. Yeah, it's, like, less than minimum or, like, at minimum wage sometimes. Yeah. 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 I. I, I made um, with very little overtime um, between working at the college, not a whole lot. Sure. And working my job, I made a little under six figures. Sure. You sure. know, like um, that's not normal mm-hmm. in this field. Sure. Um, so I think there's a huge problem with that. I think part of that is commercial ambulance um, pays very little. Uh, the fire departments pay better. Third mm-hmm. services probably pay somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. I haven't really seen the data. I think part of the problem, um, when you look at what the national average is, if you look at the, I think it's the Department of Labor has a, uh, you know, a report for EMTs and paramedics. Um, it's EMTs and paramedics. It's not an average of EMTs or paramedics. Mm-hmm. It's your private ambulance EMT and your career paramedic Mm -hmm. making, um, you know, average together. Sure. So we're not getting accurate numbers, number one. But we do know anecdotally um, that a lot of people are definitely very underpaid. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. So how do we fix that? Well, um, there's a couple things to think about. Number one, what are private insurances, Medicare and Medicaid, paying for interfacility transports? Sure. Not, not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I truly um, But a lot of that money is being eaten. What they do get, I mean, it's not terrible money. It's, um, but uh, what they do get, it's not great money either. Um, I think it's like Six hundred dollars for an ALS interfacility transport plus mileage, and like two fifty plus mileage for BLS. At mm-hmm. least that's what it was a few years ago. It's probably more now. Sure. Um, 
So number one, is that really what that service is worth? Mm-hmm. Is it worth more? Is it worth less? And where's that money going? Um, are these particularly commercial companies basically just eating that at the top? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously this isn't a political podcast, um, but it, it's almost like a worker's rights issue. Mm-hmm. Um I don't exactly know how you fix that without getting people together to say that we're not going to work, you know, essentially a labor union. You know, but we do have labor unions. Like, I mean, non-private, and, and non-private, ambulance, that's fair. Uh, uh, is that throughout the board? Uh, are there, there's no unionized? And I don't know. I don't know. I'm just asking. Is you know. AMR unionized? I don't know. I have and no even idea. then, like, uh, doesn't it work by, like, location, right? Yeah. Because one of the recent things is like well, Starbucks that, and then That's why that, right? yeah. in the department I work in, you start off as a paramedic at 55K mm-hmm. and in private ambulance or, you know, somewhere else you start off at $18 or, you know, like $12 an hour. Starting pay is 55K? Wow. Yeah. For a paramedic. So it's about that. Wow. And you bump up. Even within the state, that's not the case. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I guess that's the benefit of, you know. So, I think wages have a major part. I think work environment also has another thing, right? So, like, for example, uh, and I don't know how it is for you, but I know, like, uh, th- honestly, for me, I think if I had more, and I don't know what this kind of distills down to, but, like, for example, if I had more time off, mm-hmm. right? If I had more time off, if I had better time off, as in, like, when I'm off, I'm off. I can't be mandated to come in. Right. Right. Um, if I have a kid, I know that I have guaranteed leave. Right. And I don't know if that's the case for you or not. I, I'm just talking. Mm. Like, um, I know that if I get sick, I don't have to go through, a, you know, a bunch of loops to like get off. Right. Mm. I can just call out sick. And I think we saw a little bit of that with COVID. Right. Mm. Like we, you know, you, you don't have to go to a doctor or stuff like that. Um, I think that if I want to get a training, I don't have to go through a bunch of hoops. I can just apply and I get approved. Okay. So I, I think a lot of that also goes towards morale. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the paycheck you see every two weeks. Yeah. Right? But like things like that then create a um, a environment where people are people feel like their leadership is investing in them and cares about them. Well, and I, I mean, I can tell you um, – I'm doing a lot of ums today. I That's like okay. it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, some of the big stuff that, from from my experience when I was a paramedic on the road, you know, it really mattered to me, Moose, getting off on time mm-hmm. or close to it. And I understand you can't get off on time every day. Mm-hmm. You're a paramedic. I understand that. Sure. Getting a chance to eat mm-hmm. something hot, mm-hmm. preferably not fast food. Mm-hmm. That's important. Being able to use the bathroom without being harassed Mm -hmm. to go in service. And just being able to get 10 minutes to collect my own thoughts, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Because there are so many times when, you you know, you'd have a bad call or a stressful call. Um, I had a perfect example going back to what we talked about in last episode. Um, I was still fairly new. Um, I... I probably had like somewhere between two and four years on the job. Mm-hmm. I had my first pediatric hanging. Mm-hmm. 
And I got to the hospital. Uh, of course, it was an arrest and all that. Got to the hospital. And the way our system works is after a certain period of time, they start paging you to go back in service. I'm getting pages and phone calls. What are you doing? Go in service. And I'm like, I'm 23 years old, just had my first pediatric hanging. And I'm like, I want to see how this plays out at the hospital. And I need like a minute to compose myself, mm -hmm. you know, like that's not unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like we've gotten, at least in my department, gotten better about some stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's, that's kind of the reality of EMS in a busy system anywhere mm -hmm. you are is there's a lot of pressure to get back in service. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's a good reason that you don't want to go back in service right mm -hmm. away. You know, even if that's just to eat, because you know what? Everybody working on an ambulance right now, listening to this, they need to eat. Mm -hmm. They need to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. You know, they they like they can't just keep picking up, going from one call to the next for 10, 12, 14, 24 hours. You know, sure. at some point, you got to chill. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, and I think that's the biggest morale killer mm -hmm. is, is that kind of stuff, especially the not being able to get off on time. That mm -hmm. was always my big thing. Um just the idea that you don't know when you're going to be able to go home. Mm -hmm. Like th that's kind of crazy. There's not a lot of jobs like you that. You get paid even... for overtime? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, even if you think about like nursing um, mm -hmm. where they deal with a lot of the same kind of stuff, they know, you know, like my wife's a nurse. She knows at 723 she can clock out. You know, her relief will be in at 7. Mm -hmm. She has to give report, and then she can go home mm -hmm. every day, mm -hmm. no matter what. Well, almost no matter what. Sometimes you get a hold or a late transfer or something like that. Sure. But most of the time, a paramedic, you might get a late call. You might get a, a late major incident. Mm -hmm. um, you might get held at the hospital. Your relief might be coming from somewhere else. Um, you might have a, a multi-way relief chain. You know, there's mm. lot, there's oh, lots yeah. of stuff that can happen. Yeah. Um, or, you know, even uh, – and this applies to commercial ambulance as well. You know, you get – you might get a late – this happened to me when I worked private ambulance. I got a late call from uh, Salisbury to Baltimore, mm -hmm. which if you don't know where that is, that's like a two-hour, three-hour yeah. drive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it happens. Yeah. So I think manpower has something to do with that, mm -hmm. right? And that kind of ties back then to the original, like, morale and, like, how to keep people. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost like a little bit of a chicken or an egg scenario. Yeah. You know? I don't, I don't know if it can get better without getting worse for a little bit. I, I feel like we need a hard reset in EMS in general. Sure, okay. And I don't know how you build a better system truly mm -hmm. don't um without rebuilding everything um so i think there's ways to do it but i wonder and uh, and the the i think one of the key points is like even if you try to make if one area one jurisdiction tries to make something better the regional amount of paramedics is a finite thing. yes right so like even if 
even if like one jurisdiction suddenly makes it super, you know, really cool, right? Like, really awesome. Like the your your um, your paramedic Elysium, right? The perfect world. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you're pulling from other res- and then that those resources end up hurting elsewhere and then hypothetically you could say oh well then it could like uh, stress mutual aid agreements and stuff like that right i don't think i agree though that it has to get worse than to get better i think we need to revisit budgets right and at least from a from a, a governance public safety standpoint mm-hmm. i think if we i and I, again, I don't know what I don't know. Like, I just want to say, like, and I think people understand, like, I don't, I'm not a budget guy. I'm not a senior fire. I, I would love mm-hmm. to talk to people that actually deal with that stuff. But um, I think if we reevaluate how we spend money and have a, you know, I, I don't know how we could do it, but temporarily somehow get an extra cash flow to create novel systems that just, just try it, right? It, yep. You're never going to have 100% of the information. Just, just send it, right? For lack of a better term. Mm. Create a plan, send it, see if it how it works, and if not, reevaluate and try again. Yeah. And I feel like our government constructs aren't really conducive to that, right? Because you have annual budgets, you have. Uh, and I know we're not a political podcast, but politics matter because they're the ones that decide our our at least from the you know public service standpoint, like they decide the budgets that go towards the funds. Well, did you see? I saw this again on Reddit. Um, I didn't read it because. You fell into the trap that really everyone does these days. Feel like it, um, and not to get political, and I won't give my opinions on the man. Uh, but apparently, Bernie Sanders has authored a bill to provide money to EMS systems nationwide to try to deal with some of the staffing shortages. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I saw somebody in the comments broke it down, and it just comes out to like one hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars per system. So it's essentially nothing. Sure. Um, but I guess the thought is there by some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what stipulations are attached to that money, which would be my major concern because, not to get political, but I'm going to say something political. Every time the government does something it, or gets involved in something, it makes things worse. Sure, okay. I'm a firm believer in that. Okay. Um, I'm not saying the free market has fixed everything, Yeah. but I'm just saying. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, I think there's a, there's an issue, you know, I think the pay is a big issue to get people involved in EMS. Um, I think that, I don't know how widespread this thought is. Um, but I wonder if it's true for some people, especially people who come from families with, more educated or financially more well-off backgrounds. But I know when I first got an interest in EMS or expressed an interest in EMS, the first thing my mother said to me was, please don't do that. People get sucked into it. Get a real job instead. People get sucked into it. People get sucked into it. What does that mean? They They get sucked into the fire service. I don't know what that means. I just said, okay. Interesting. I don't, I, but I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what it means. I mean, Obviously, I'm, I didn't yeah. pay attention to the advice. Yeah. But, uh. <laughs> well, I feel like it's. Uh, wait. So what, the original thing we were talking, I just, just so I don't forget, we were talking about like money and like getting uh, the manpower yeah, shortage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, I just want to take this tangent here. Uh, I think the people that are attracted to the fire service 
are prime I, I don't have any numbers to back this up but i feel like it attracts a certain personality that does have the add ADHD, mm-hmm. and the the high stress but short time right kind of kind of feeds that need of add people right mm-hmm. and then you get a completely different call right so right. like because the you know, so i think that feeds into it so i can see how i mean i got sucked into it yeah i think me too uh so i guess your mom wasn't wrong <laughs> but um going back to the money thing uh so well how do i feel about the government the government thing you just said so um I think the nature of governance right now, I think, I I don't have an opinion on what you said. What I would say is I think the policymakers may be a little bit too far from the people actually doing the work. Oh, I think that's the case for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I think multi, multi, that's not the word. I think there has to be true collaboration between various levels of that relationship from the policymakers that are making the policy, the elected officials, their policymakers, all the way down to the people that are doing the work. But I think there's an inherent bias that even the – so like whenever, whenever you have a – and I'm not talking about this from experience. I'm just saying hypothetically if you have a committee that's tasked to do something – the person that's on that committee that represents the field people is the person that has played their political cards right and knows how to persuade or manipulate their leadership into putting them in that role. And they might, that person may not be the best person to represent the people that are maybe running the 16 calls in a 12 hour shift or whatever. Right. Yep. So I think there's a fallacy there. We need to have true uh, collaboration between various levels of that, that relationship of policymakers versus the people doing the work, but the people at the bottom need to be uh, empowered and their work structure has to be uh, adjusted in a way that they are able to do so. Mm -hmm. If I'm running 14 calls in a shift and I have, I just ran a pediatric arrest. Am I in the appropriate mindset to sit down with somebody who has never sat on an ambulance a day in their life? And they tell me that I'm not doing enough work. Right. So like, sure. there has to be that collaboration. So like, uh, in the example that you gave me, um, in the example that you gave me, uh, of you know, uh, senator, right, Senator Sanders. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I would imagine that the solution. I don't think government uh, involvement is inherently bad i think the execution that we've seen is bad because the system is messed up i think if that if the motivation of that started with collaboration from actual field people right then sure i I might be okay with it but the execution can't be like this generalized bureaucratic let's create a work group you know that is Mm -hmm. completely detached from the people on the ground let's create this process, this bureaucratic process where you have to meet these like 17 million ridiculous criteria. And then you pigeonhole the people on the ground and then no one utilizes the funds except for somebody who finds the way. And then we're going into another government conversation, but you you get what I mean, right? No, I, I totally do. You know, I think it, if there is at all a solution to be found in government for this, it's going to be at the local level. Um, 
I I think that you know the the local jurisdiction is where people are going to be heard and funded. Whether local jurisdictions have that kind of money or not is another issue. Of course, whether the federal government has that money or not is an entirely different issue that you know I feel very strongly on. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> sure. uh, again, this is we're going to have to do a political podcast too. Um, it's. It's just tough. So, you know, the question then circles back around to where do we find people? And especially if if Ken wants to raise educational standards, really, where are we going to find people? Um, And the thing no one – and we can get into this a different day. The thing no one wants to talk about with this, especially if we raise standards, is what happens to the volunteer system. Mm, I like that. Yeah, Yeah, we need to talk about that. And there's another part. And this is going to hurt some feelings, but what if part of the reason that wages aren't higher is because there's not as much competition because people are doing this job for free? Oh, hot take. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I'm just saying I'm not against yeah. volunteers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have been a volunteer myself. Yeah. Same. Uh, yeah. I'm the, the but reason I'm in here a is because volunteers supply are so and demand. Honest look at the economics of the situation. Sure. If people are going to do this for free. Other people are not going to get paid as much. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a it's an economic fact. So we're gonna end with that. And we're gonna end the next episode. We're gonna we're gonna because we're at fifty three minutes. So okay, how many minutes? Fifty three. Good lord! I don't even know how we talk this much. Uh, no, but we're we have to record right after this okay. about that. So uh, next episode we'll we'll start off with that. Okay. Uh, volunteer EMS because I mean. A little bit of a te- uh, full proponent of like empowering volunteer EMS as much as possible. So I think we might disagree, but but that's good. Uh, you want to finish this out? All right, everybody. I hope we didn't lose all our listeners with my last comment. Um, but if we did, I am so sorry. I'm not here to hurt feelings. <laughs> Maybe I am. I don't know. I'm really not though. I'm a nice. Well, guy. I agree with if, you. So you should still listen. If you if you knew, not with Ken, with the listeners that think <laughs> that are just offended with Ken. Um, so, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, I don't know. After this discussion, this might be my last day on the podcast. No. So I just want to say thank you, everybody. Um, have a great day, great night, whatever. Thank you for listening to Alert Medic One. Check us out Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. And our website is going to come back eventually. 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 When I get time to work on it. So uh, have a great day, everybody. Signing off. Alert Medic One. You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner.